0: Hello, friends, and welcome to a new episode of Skills for Mars. Did you know that half of the world today still doesn't have access to the internet? Can we create inclusive, transparent, and just technologies without their contribution? We shouldn't. My guest today is Elena Ardelian, a social change maker, the founder of AI for Development, a global NGO whose mission is to advance AI literacy to the unconnected and most vulnerable communities globally. We will dive deep into AI education, what AIDA does to support, the role NGOs, businesses, and governments play into enabling tech awareness for everyone. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share your thoughts in the comment section below. Hello, Elena, and welcome to Skills for Mars Future of Work. I'm very thrilled to be hosting you.
1: Hi, Yulia, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
0: Elena, for everyone to get to know you a bit better, can you tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and maybe what have been the major influences in your life and career?
1: Yes, of course. Thanks for the question. So my name is Elena Delan. I am originally from Romania, but I have spent most of my lifetime abroad, traveling and working uh, and also studying in different countries. You know, if I had to describe myself with a few words, I would say I'm a social change maker, I am a rule changer, I'm also a female entrepreneur um, who believes in humanity and is determined to empower others, reach their full potential. I'm also someone who loves traveling and loves good food and good wine. I suppose that comes from my experience and from my time in in France. Um, you know, Yulia, I come from a modest background in Romania, and a major influence uh, played in my life, my family, in particular, my grandparents um, and also my my grandmother. Of course, she was a formidable force and a very very wise person. She taught me by practice ambition courage and humility and from my grandfather i um, have learned what hard work means and how to treat others with dignity and respect and then later uh, you know going to your point related to career um, later down the road in my career i was lucky to meet people who love teaching and mentoring and me on the other side i was curious and eager to learn so uh, you know that was a match
0: (laughs) do you have any role (laughs) model in uh, career wise
1: one woman I have um, worked with, I had the pleasure to work with, was my former manager in the International Chamber of, uh, of Commerce in Paris. She was a force for uh, leadership and the force for inspiring others around her to really get the best out of them and, and deliver at work. Um, so many of my inspiration, I would say, and many of my tools that I use as a leader are inspired from her.
0: Elena's. before we spoke last time and definitely in preparation for uh, for this discussion I had a look at what uh, what you have done and it has impressed me a lot because mm. you I think you have cho- chosen the hard path definitely not the beaten path you have worked in NGOs you have worked for for government institutions you have worked for the private sector you have this tri sector experience for sure but even if I look at what you have done with NGOs and governments, it's, it, it is a very interesting mix. So from uh, ecological uh, type of uh, activities and endeavors to advisory for town halls, to legal frameworks for transport and social infrastructure, e-government, public sectors, modernization, anti-corruption. I think there's something about um, conflict and um, post-conflict zones and training leaders uh, coming from these areas. What drove you to to choose all of this and what drove the changes as well. They're, again, not really on the beaten path.
1: Yeah, craziness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, it is atypical, my my background and the choices I made. But you'll see that there is a common denominator um, in, in all of them. And basically this part of my life, I call it from the East to the West. So from Romania to Austria to France and 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 maybe even farther to the to the west. So, you know, I believe life is partly what you make and partly made by others whom we choose to follow. And as for the part I played in my journey, I would say that curiosity, courage and the desire to make a difference drove the force behind my decisions, all my life decisions. And um and also very early in my life, um, I had to become independent and work to sustain myself. So I had my first paid job with 16. And during my uh, my studies, um, I even held two jobs at some point. So I worked hard to secure a good education for myself and um, never hesitated to take the opportunity to be exposed professionally and also personally to different contexts contexts and and cultures. So I have started my career as a young professional in Paris, um, working as an ICT and change management consultant, helping employees successfully manage any transition in the organization, but also for themselves individually um After that as you were saying, I was um, hunted by the by the World Bank uh, with whom I work in Europe and the Middle East supporting governments in strengthening their economies and designing strategies and policies to provide their citizens better lives and yes currently I run a tech nonprofit organization which educates people on AI risks and um, and challenges Tell so me it, a bit it is How? an atypical yeah
0: it, it is very atypical and uh, I so first of all you just said you started at 16 years old. How did that influence you? That's very early for someone that comes from our country. It doesn't usually happen. We or at least we we are kind of there as as age. There weren't opportunities for people who were that old. Uh I know I know I wanted to work uh when I was 16 17. And there was nothing, right? Everyone in Romania is asking for uh, experience or a certain age, usually uh, over 18. So it is it is not that easy to do it. And besides finding work and how hard it was, how did that help you build character later on?
1: Mm, yeah, it's a great question. So I was in Austria back then, in, in Vienna. And I okay. think the culture here really promotes or encourages um, students to explore and and work during their their study time. Also the life quality here, it's much better than in other places of the world. So you can have a job on the side and kind of finance uh, finance yourself. So, you know, the economic uh, environment and the societal environment made that possible. Now it's framing in many, many different ways. And I think um, a lot of my ethic, work ethics, I have to... um, you know, I have gained during during this time, basically, um, apart from exposing me to different people, different uh, ways of working, different contexts, learning how to deal with difficulties, how to deal with different characters at work, how to be, you know, client oriented, um, how to build resilience as well and um, and humility. I think, uh, you know, I would say this were the main aspects that um, form my character or, um, you know, kind of experiences I gained from, from starting very young as a student.
0: I'm also curious, you, you worked for institutions that I dream of understanding how they work, right? Because they seem like they're very close because they influence our decisions and they influence our lives. But you, it's very rare that you can see them working uh, from the inside. Like uh, the World Bank, the 100 mentors, and everything that you did for peace building and and so on, did these experiences change the way you view life? And in if yes, how and why?
1: Yes, I think I think every experience we experience in our life changes us and changes the way we perceive life and we perceive ourselves as well. Um, it was my experience with the World Bank and also the other institutions we mentioned were a tremendous, um, uh, you know, opportunity for me to grow and, and to learn. So I get a gain and unique experience and insights into how strategic decisions are made, how how governments function, what economic tools they use to improve their societies. It has definitely been um very very uh, unique experience for myself and very enriching enriching one as well and this you know, g- gives me more, um, more strength, I would say, and also more knowledge when interacting with these actors in my daily job now for, um, for AIDA. So I definitely understand how that macroeconomic, um, you know, environment functions and what are the main stakeholders and how, what are their expectations and what would be the win-win situation, uh, when it comes to implementing or developing projects
0: is this why you chose to to build an ngo
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> yes well you know the downsides of these organizations is that of course these are complex administrations complex systems that are are have you know they have so many stakeholders and so many aspects to take into account that it is really really difficult to for them to have a light version of administration so it is Working with these organizations is very bureaucratic and can be, you know, frustrating sometimes for someone who has a lot of aspiration, has a lot to give to the world and, and, um, is dynamic and has maybe a creative mind and thinks that there is another way in which we can do things. And I wanted to be, to have a grassroots impact. So I wanted to, you know, have a, be closer to the society, closest to the citizens. Understand even better what their needs are, what their expectations and aspirations are, and support them in in basically achieving these aspirations and ultimately achieving their full full potential, which is quite difficult to do from you know point of view of an organization such as the the World Bank or um, or the European Investment Bank um, etc. It is a unique unique character to the civil society and to the NGO world.
0: But now you made me curious because definitely by design, this kind of institutions, they're kind of heavy and they move as such, right? Does, or do these satellite NGOs and these satellite activities and offices, do they help them be a bit more agile and act like a sort of action branches and action arms for
1: them? Somehow, some, to a certain extent they do. In many, uh, in many aspects, all these institutions have a close collaboration with the NGOs, and they rely on the NGOs to understand better the the image on the ground, the reality on the ground. So there, there definitely is a lot of interaction, a lot of you know, learning experience, and sharing knowledge, uh, and exchange among among these two main sectors, major sectors, um, in uh, in in the world or in our in our countries, and also very often. The, the, these international organizations play a mediator role in with, in a country in which, let's say, you know, the government apparatus and the civil society uh, part or sector do not talk to each other. You know that, let's say, the dialogue and communication is not flowing. So very often they come in and, and they help to start that dialogue and and find a common solution that would fit with everybody and make, um, you know, parts of the of the game um, satisfying. So it, it is a close collaboration for sure.
0: I'm also curious and very intrigued of how and why you chose AI as your current pit stop, because you've been through so many fields and worked in so many fields, but still AI was the pit stop.
1: Yes. Um, well, you know, AI is the present and the future. And um, I believe that we shouldn't ask ourselves anymore, do we want AI, but how do we want our AI to be? And how do I want as a company, as a government, as an individual to interact with this technology? So it is a technology that is not that recent, is not that new, has been with us for at least 40 years. What makes it so uh, exciting today is the amount of data to which we have, and the quality of data we have access to today, and that enables us basically to develop better AI models, better AI systems. And having this better and quicker and faster AI systems, uh, it also means for us, for our society, that it the technology or AI in particular is shaping our lives economically, socially and, and politically. Like no other technology has really done that before. It taps into our cognitive abilities. So it's, it moves away from automation and, uh, and it's, uh, it's shaping. It's a cognitive revolution. This is kind of, I like to, or evolution depends on who you talk to. Um, and it is it is such an important and strategic um, you know factor in our society that for me it just was impossible to stay uh, you know uh, be silent about it and not do anything around um, around AI and in particular to help communities and society understand better what AI is and how they can basically lead in the era of AI.
0: I'm curious, you st- you are very much right now promoting the understanding and use uh, of AI really for everyone, right? This doesn't really just uh, talk to companies or to people who are highly educated or to uh, the young generation or to the old a- generation, but to everyone. Did you start uh, AI for development with other purposes in mind as well? And this is just the beginning or how did you think about it?
1: Um, so the, the first contact I had with AI, um, was a few, I mean, a more serious contact, um, a few years ago. And, um, I, re- I created AIDA, the Artificial Intelligence for Development, at the beginning of last year. Um, and our main goal was to provide most vulnerable groups, in particular youth and women, with the right tools to lead in the era of AI. So we, Envision an inclusive society in which no one is left behind while AI also, you know, became a key driver of economic development, as I said. It is there is no doubt about it. We believe that AI also represents a global challenge, and more action is needed to secure that our communities are informed actors and involved in a decision-making and decision-making progress. So um, this was our main main idea and initial um, you know, initial seed, I would say, for the for the organization. No one should be left behind, and in particular, vulnerable groups that are already stra- struggling uh, in many many aspects um would be even more affected by ai and are more affected by by ai in general it could go the yeah, AIDA could go in different um in different ways and could take different directions i think this is a mission and the vision will always stay with the organization we are a volunteer based organization um for now and most of the actions and uh, the projects we are running are voluntary driven so we, they are community driven and um the direction which we'll go will definitely also depend on, on the people joining us, on their ideas, aspirations, and also on the other side the needs and um, the needs that we will see on the ground and the reality that we we will see on the ground.
0: So, what kind of actions are you taking?
1: Yes, we have three main pillars um, in in the organization. So we do AI awareness and AI literacy programs, and we are also involved in in research. We are working on a fourth pillar that would be related to AI solutions, the development part, um, technical development part of AI. And um, yeah, we hope that Given this you know three main pillars will be built we'll be able to build um a, a, some a system similar to an assessment if you want of uh, of AI in a different society community in terms of how transparent is the AI used um, in in your community society? How um, you know how well established are the policies and regulations? How involved are the citizens in the development of of your solutions? And how is the community, the government, the private sector responding to um, to the needs of, um, of of citizens? So you know, going back to AI literacy and AI awareness is a lot around. Um, training programs, um, developing challenges or festivals for children to learn more about AI, play with it, it's a lot of um, conferences, a lot of talks, webinars um, that that we organize. Of course, we have a holistic approach as we believe that all stakeholders should be involved, including the private sector, the public I sector. I wanted to ask
0: you about this, Are they yes. are they involved and how?
1: Definitely. It it always depends on the country, you know, and, and the context. But so far, we have been lucky to, to manage to, uh, you know, um, in, infuse that interest in them to take part in our organizations at different levels. Um, you know, some with funding, other with um, providing, um, you know, potential um, partnership for us or promotion or helping us to reach a target group we want to reach. It's one of the ways, for instance, we collaborated in Kuwait with, um, with the society there. We partnered with local NGOs to help us, um, of course, promote and reach as many people as, as possible. The government helped with some research and also providing you know facilities that we needed. And then the schools and academia helped with definitely bringing AI and our ideas to the schools and to the children that we, we wanted to reach.
0: I know it's, uh, you're very young, are you tracking in any way, and I imagine you'll only see results later, are you tracking in any way if people that you have touched and you have been and you have educated on uh, AI, if the increase in, in uh, for them in going to STEM kind of activities or education, are you tracking in any way if that shift is happening? It
1: is very difficult to, to track, right? Um, when... To monitor something like this um, and we are still a young organization to really look at that that impact yet but we definitely whatever we develop and whatever project or activity we we form we definitely form with that in mind and and with that objective to be able to measure the impact we have now one maybe one success, success story that i could share with you is um, it happened in, in Kuwait, where we run a training program for um, the Kuwaiti community there. We brought parents and children together to learn about artificial intelligence, identify an issue in their community, such as being bullied at school or waste management, and then see how AI could support the community to tackle that, uh, that issue. Now, this was a six-month training program, So twice a month, we we meet with everybody and deliver the training and they will learn and play with it. And at the end of the training, the participants had the chance and opportunity to um, be part of a worldwide competition, a global competition. And one of the families in Kuwait won the junior category. So won the grand prize for the junior category, which, you know, a um, put uh, Kuwait on the global AI map um, in general, and B definitely inspired also other families and other children uh, in their community to at least to want to understand what AI is and how is AI impacting their their lives. Um, and the cha- one of the children, so the family had three children. One of the children said that he definitely wants to become an AI expert when he grows and um, and wants to you know do all the trainings is needed and was very sad that the training was over so i hope that this is a little bit of impact (laughs) you know in the in the in the big picture
0: definitely one person at a time i I, I mean that's for sure a win what was their solution what did they want to uh, use algorithms for
1: yes so you have to know that in the middle east um birds are love species so people in the middle east love birds and they have a lot of bird species that are protected including in 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 kuwait and because they have such a big you know love for for birds and um and passion for them this family thought that it was very useful to develop an app that would recognize protected species bird species from not, not not protected one so they have developed an app where the machine would recognize what is protected and what is not protected. And the app will even go farther to explain the user what is the ecological environment for this bird and how can you protect not you know not only the bird, not harm the bird, but also the environment itself and why is it you know meaningful to not for your plastic bags everywhere, you know, this kind of ecological uh, basically ideas and concepts that may be very familiar to us in Europe, but maybe not that much in other places, in other parts of the world. So it has a also pedagogical dimension to it.
0: But this is very powerful. First, it can be used anywhere in any kind of ecological situation with any kind of species. And second, it proves that whoever gets to learn, even after six months, they can come up with solutions that can help entire ecosystems.
1: Yes, exactly. So one of of the main, you know, the, the key elements of the training program was not so much related to the technology itself, as it was related to helping the participants develop or strengthen their critical thinking skills, their creativity, their decision making skills. This, you know these are skills for the future for the future of work as well and are skills that are definitely needed to identify to come up with solutions in your own community as AI technology is only a tool is is it, it you know it still requires of course the human being and the human thinking around it to really be useful and um, and yeah be used for a meaningful way.
0: I'm curious, were they fearful when they first started to learn about AI and when they first started in the program? Because AI is such an abstract thing and everyone is shouting AI here and there. You have utopias, you have dystopias of using AI at some point, and this is why why I started Skills for Mars as well, you don't know how it will affect your life. And most people are fearful. Oh, this is AI driven. I don't really understand what's happening there. So I don't even want to get into it. How, how did they start? Were they fearful? Were they indifferent? And where did they get at the end of the learning?
1: Hmm, very good question. I think it was mixed, you know, um, in the group, um, we had people who were um, even not that much interested, were there just because, you know, ch- children, for instance, who parents thought this would be something you should um you should be exposed to. Um, others who had a little bit more insights, etc. Um, so we had a very um, you know, mixed mixed group in terms of um expectations or emotions, feelings that were coming to the table. The first um the first step we we took was to really gain their trust in in engaging with us as an organization and then building on their trust slowly uh explaining you know in very broad terms the potential of AI and also uh the downside of AI of of course so we always we have a balanced message i would say when it comes to the way we perceive artificial intelligence we believe that it can be very beneficial but it can also be very harmful if it's misused and we have a lot of examples around that around us um in in doing so they ended up enthusiastic they ended up um really super super um also positive towards ai um because they have seen the the benefits of the technology and um, and also i think they definitely you know left the room with with a critical thinking and and if we you know develop some skills to question things and say okay but what does it mean for me and um and what does it do to my data for instance what does it do to us as a as a community do i really want to have you know cameras everywhere that would be amazing for predicting certain things but but maybe uh, it's um, kind of, uh, you know, affecting Until my Until it's freedom. regulated
0: and transparent, yeah. And yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. So we, well, it was a wonderful journey and it always is, no matter where we go and community we are engaging with.
0: But it's very good that the, this starts raising questions as well about the current AI on the market. And there are definitely applications that we are not even aware of that governments use. And they definitely use our data to really understand what's happening, which is which is in itself not bad at all, actually this this is something we should be we should be supporting, because the more they understand how we behave and what would help us, the more they can actually support. But transparency is needed. Are there any? Is it is it is ethics in AI moving forward in any way?
1: Hmm, and this is a, a tough question. <laughs> um, I think many uh, many gov- and so many researchers and also the public, se- private sector, and the civil society, including ourselves, are are working towards defining finding a framework for ethics in AI and and defining that framework. It's it's still work in progress, but but progress is, is done in in that sense. So you see the European Commission um, launching many. Papers on, on this topic, uh, research being advanced in, in that direction as well. Um, and I think also in particular now uh, during the Corona crisis where we saw more and more AI applications being implemented to either help us with fighting Corona or, uh, you know, just delivering a better a better drug, a better vaccine, um, etc. So we saw a boom basically of um, development in AI that, for which we did not really had the time to regulate. We we don't, don't didn't did not really have the time to make sure our data sets are clean and are the right ones. Um, and, and now we are kind of working, you know, towards, um, making sure that whatever was, was developed is still, you know, it's, um, it's really complying with the ethics we have as a society and, uh, and respecting our, um, our freedom and, and is transparent. So there are different initiatives in this, in this direction. And, um, and I am, I'm optimistic that uh, we will, uh, you know we will move um, together as a society with in in a good direction, definitely when it comes in terms of AI development.
0: You mentioned 2020, and at least from my point of view, I think this was the year when AI could show its power or its progress until now and its evolution. Did you see any initiative this year that is really worth mentioning? Something that you said, good use of AI, powerful. Definitely, should do it again. Continue on this path.
1: There are a few initiatives um, coming from the Nordic countries, countries, for for instance, in making AI more transparent and more accessible to to users. So I know of an example in Helsinki and also in Amsterdam where they have developed the AI Register. So this is basically a platform AI platform that um, gives teams being from the mainly from the public sector, so institutions, administration, gives them the opportunity to explain what kind of AI technologies they are using uh, in their city, being it from, you know, in terms of transportation uh, or whatever, whatever use may be, and explain how they process the data, how they store the data, and why is it useful for me as an individual and also for us as a community. And I think this is, the first really definitely right step in in making AI more transparent, more palpable and, and accessible to the citizens is I believe that it's not so much about one data point, myself, individual, but what does it do to us as a community? And we are moving away from I'm sharing my data to definitely understanding better how the community and society operates and what is the impact of this development on the community, and is a way of is it is an impact, but it's not a static one. It is a movement. It comes from the society to the technology and from the technology to the society. So, and I think these platforms um really kind of highlight that dimension, that collective dimension, and strengthen the transparency and um. And also to a certain extent, the ethics um, dimension around around AI.
0: I know you're all for inclusivity, as is pretty much everyone on this planet, I imagine. Everyone with common sense would like an inclusive uh, or a more inclusive word. But AI is still biased because the, the data that we feed the machine is still biased. The way we build the algorithms, even though we believe they're not biased, I understand that with all the efforts, they still remain biased. Anything that you've seen, any kind of initiatives, any kind of progress in this area, so at least the biggest biases are reduced, like gender bias, age bias.
1: Yes, um, well, there, I think there are many initiatives, but as you say, um, so in in, in generally, AI definitely has the potential to help humans make fairer decisions. But really only if we carefully work towards um, yeah fairness in AI systems um, systems as well and that basically means you know having a good data set, as you say a balanced nuanced colored um, data set and also people on the other side that are developing the technology and and use the technology most so basically having the user and also the developer, part of that target group or part of that diversity um, in there. And I think companies are more and more aware of this, in particular those that develop AI, such as Microsoft, for instance. I, I'm not making any publicity. I have no ties with Microsoft at all. But I admire their approach to a certain extent. And in particular, they have uh, basically named um, a chief um, um, accessibility officer she is, for instance, um deaf herself, uh, so she's best positioned to you know understand how people with disabilities, for instance, perceive and what their needs are, etc., and then uh make sure that they are part of the design, but also part of the developers and the users um, at the end of the day. So um, but but you are completely right. We we still have a lot of work to do in uh in terms of tackling the gender bias that we we have in our technologies and also in our societies. There's a question of mindset as well and, and, and perception and that may take time, would not be that, um, that easy.
0: At least progress is happening. Is. Elena, are you alone in uh, fighting this battle and in really bringing education and awareness uh, into the general population? Are there any other NGOs, any other companies who are there as as support, or who maybe have been doing this for a longer time than you?
1: I don't think I'm alone, and uh, that gives me hope, <laughs> and and uh, makes me be you know feel more optimistic about the situation. There are other initiatives, um, though. I believe we are unique in what we do and the services we provide, as we really. You know, we really come from a grassroots perspective, community perspective, and in which we go beyond, beyond, um, informing what AI is, but we really try to educate people on, on AI and try to, you know, dev- help them develop other skills than just, than just programming, for instance, or, or just coding. So we are definitely unique in, in that sense. And what makes us also unique is, our global dimension so we have people in the organization from ethiopia from tanzania from cameroon from uganda from portugal romania spain from different parts of the world that help us understand better the reality on the ground and then uh, develop or, or target actions um, in in tackling these challenges but what i believe is still lacking is the collaboration the collaboration among the main stakeholders. the Private, the public, and the civil society. I think the work and, and activities and initiatives are still very fragmented around the world and within a country. And um, yeah, your question is very good. It's, I every day I learn about another organization doing maybe something similar that could be interesting, you know, for us to reach out to partner with. And I just realized just once more how fragmented the whole system is. And I think one of the causes for this lack of collaboration and huge fragmentation, fragmentation is that um, basically main stakeholders, public and private do not see AI yet as a social challenge, as a global challenge that has to be tackled, um, tackled as, as such. So they are still kind of di- di- denying basically this global dimension and the the power of the technology on, on us individually and on us as uh, citizens. So as I I wish if you know if I had a wish for 2021 <laughs> was that um, major stake you know stakeholders uh, declare AI as a global challenge and then finally we'd have an agenda that will work around that and everybody around the table will 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 be included.
0: Uh, do you have an ideal future in mind on this? Something that you think. This is where we should what we should aim for in terms of AI knowledge, AI understanding, AI pervasiveness in, in the population and the way we use it in communities.
1: I think there are different dimensions that uh, that can be tackled here. Um and the key element within this dimensions will be a community driven AI. And I will explain why. So I think one of the pillars that would ideally would know would happen or will have in the future is a systematic pillar is a pillar in which governments will feel strong enough and have the knowledge and the tools enough to understand the technology understand how it shapes the policy and their their society and be a responsive uh, reactive and not and proactive actor um, in, in the process. Then the second pillar would be the corporates. They have a huge, in particular, the tech giants have a huge responsibility in the development of the technology. And they should be, you know, the first one to basically step up and initiate uh, awareness campaigns, educational campaigns, um, et cetera. They definitely have an interest in having an educated user um, at, the end of, uh, at the end of the day and um, a healthy user as well um on from all aspects then um there is another pillar related to the individual itself so what can i do for myself and uh, maybe for my for my community and um here i i think it's very important to to place you know the individual at the center of any any development that technology is going to shape and also society or governments are going to are going to uh, embrace. Um, individuals need to, citizens need to be um, challenged sometimes um, with um, you know, information, with participation in different events and, and debates. And um, it, it is basically, at the end of the day, in interest of everyone to have an informed and educated um, citizen in, in the process. And I hope that is you know will happen soon. <laughs> AI is
0: already here, it's not going away, so we'd better learn how to deal with it and work with it and use it or benefit for sure. How can people, those who want to maybe learn more about AI, uh, get a bit of training, can they reach out to you is this available for individuals or do you work through other ngos how how does it work for those who really want to get better and we understand have, ai we
1: have we have experienced uh, both um so we have experienced individuals that were reaching out to us directly with with the desire to understand how they can use ai for instance in their daily work and also um uh, also societies communities or you know we have university schools that wanted us to help them understand and, and use use AI so we are quite flexible when it comes to that um and there are definitely you know ways for for us to tailor any program if it's needed to um yeah so basically to to help them gain uh the experience and the knowledge uh, the knowledge they they need but we realize that most of those that reach out to us directly are people who already have an, a little bit of knowledge around AI, who are you know, well-educated and um, have access to resources that will inform and educate them. Our main target group are people who do not have that access to that knowledge and to these resources, are people who have no idea about AI and neither have the means, maybe sometimes, to inform themselves and educate themselves. And for that to tackle, that, that is still, is still a challenge for us. To really reach this group of people um, remains, remains a challenge. So we definitely rely on our partners, on collaborations, and, and also on you know, public sector um, initiatives that would basically enable us to come in and open the door and then start the dialogue around those topics.
0: Yeah, I hope this discussion will uh, start some dialogue as well. We will definitely make it uh, public and uh, yeah, advertise it as much as possible so you, so you can get uh, more support and more people interested in uh, in this.
1: Thank you, thank
0: you. One last question, uh, Elena. How do you see the future of work through the lenses of AI?
1: Balanced. <laughs> um. B- balanced. you're so, the first one
0: that says that, so I'm very curious.
1: <laughs> yes, you're right. So many yeah people are tend to be either po- positive or um or negative or optimistic or or pessimistic about it. Um, I think you know after having experienced AI um as a user but also as a trainer and and researcher, I believe in its potential to. To help people um, get uh, better the work they are doing, basically be an enhancing, you know, um, enhancing tool in their in their professional professional work. Jobs will be created; others will be modified or replaced. That is um, that is a reality. It's nothing that we can deny. I think we will have to face that. And there, the government and the private sector again. I'm going back to my my point before will play a a key role in making that transition smoothly for their societies for their people and making sure that no one is no one is left behind behind so i am optimistic to the extent in which every stakeholder is doing their job correctly properly is taking care what of what they need to take care including ourselves trying to help citizens understanding and inform themselves Uh, without that happening we may definitely see more divides, more gaps uh, in in terms of geographies and also in terms of of economies and um, and lack of uh, access to information and education. We should not forget that uh, 50% of the world's population is still not connected to the Internet. And, um, and we definitely have to, you know, uh, have to work on both ends, I would say, on, on providing AI and helping them understand what AI is, but definitely making sure that the basic needs are also taken care of.
0: Elena, thank you very much. Is there something that maybe I didn't ask you and you wanted to mention?
1: Oh thank you. I think we covered everything that we could have covered in this podcast, and it was really, really a pleasure to to talk to you about myself and about uh, AI.
0: same, same here, Lena. For those who want to reach out to you, will you be okay if I share your uh, LinkedIn uh, profile or how do you want to be to be able to reach out?
1: Definitely. Perfect. I think the LinkedIn profile, there is also a website. So we use all these channels. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, Twitter. So whatever channel uh, would work best for them.
0: Perfect. If you share all the channels with me, then I can definitely make sure that they uh, appear both on the audio podcast and on the video one.
1: Great. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you so much as well.